Welcome to the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. The main event is part two of my conversation with Francis Minotti. This week, we dig more into creativity, his friendship with Teller, and how he went from being a solo act to a double act when he got married. Nick Lacapo takes another week off, so Craig Petty can join me to discuss the feature part of the week from Andrew Niner. Before all of that, the show kicks off with one of our quickfire segments where your favorite magicians discuss the magic they never leave the house without. Jacob Rangel, the younger half of the J- Rangels, joins me for the Everyday Carry. Jacob Brangel, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for the Everyday Carry. All right, you're about to go out. You're going to meet some friends at a coffee shop. You're going right. to go get groceries. You, but you're a you're a magician, so you're a nerd. You don't leave the house without some tricks. I don't. What is this? What is the magic you don't leave the house without? Um, I probably the first thing that comes to mind is like a copper silver brass routine. Really? Yes. Like you just you keep a copper silver brass like in your pocket or in your bag. I really do. Which copper silver brass routine is it that you do? Um. The routine that I do, uh, I forget the name. Um, you know, it's gonna come to me in a second. Of course, I mean, but it's, you've probably been doing it for so long. I, I've been doing it for so long, but it's the Paul uh, Virgil routine. Oh, Paul Vigil. Paul Vigil. Paul Vigil. No, like, yeah, no. I throws me off. Paul Vigil's CBS man, because he put that out in uh, was it in Classic Fantastic or it was in a set of lecture notes that he did. Yes. Yeah, because he's taught it at lectures for years. Yes. And then we Penguin put it out as a product. Which is which was so much fun for me to film. I bet it was. Uh, so copper, copper, silver, brass. Copper, silver, brass routine. Um, a deck of cards, obviously, yeah. uh, probably in mnemonica. In mnemonica. Um, and even though it, it gets some hate every now and then, double cross is just a way to go. Double cross is uh, double cross. I've got two of them, and they're in my suit jackets, so I don't even have to think about it. I just it, put the it, suit jacket on. Always and it's there. there. You just need a double cross. Jacob, those are some fantastic everyday carries. Thanks so much for joining us on the Penguin Magic Podcast. Thanks so much to Jacob Rangel for joining me on the show. There is a great interview with Jacob and his dad last season where we talk about how they put together their double act. Speaking of double acts, on to the main event. Last week, we started a conversation with Francis Minotti where we discussed creativity. This week, we continued that conversation as well as dig into some of the more fascinating areas of his working life. And now you get to join our conversation. Um, so I can uh, I can parrot them back. But um, one of the things to keep in mind with, and this is, this is a rule of thumb for life in general, but I love saying that if the audience doesn't know where you're going, every destination is correct. Mm-hmm. The audience doesn't know where you're going in a show. So there's a lot of times, and I'll bring up this this concept later uh, about uh, a hidden hidden predictions. Chekhov's gun that is not you don't have to pay off every Chekhov's gun. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to. You can plant a seed of something, and if the audience, if the show continues and the trajectory of the show moves along, <clears throat> and they and you don't pay something off. Not I'm not I'm not saying like here's a prediction. Everyone take a look at this. I'm going to come back to it later, mm-hmm. and then you forget about it. Um, maybe don't do that. But there are certain there are, there are certain elements that'll set up that I'll be like, you know what, time was cut, so we're just going to move on from that. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, um, like there have been moments where I'll leave an envelope with the person in the audience. Say here, I'll come back to this later. Mm. And the time does run out, and I'll say, uh, you know what? Don't worry about this. Let's do something else. I'm, I've got a better idea for a clo- to, to 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 close this out. For some reason, I have to cut a piece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really comes down to if you are okay. If we're doing our theater show, we know our show. We know we are in control of the parameters of the of the world. That we we say when it starts and when it ends. Mm-hmm. If we're doing a, I did a. a 
corporate uh, company holiday party two nights ago where before I was booked to do a 45 minute show. I got there. They said, oh, yeah, so you're going to do a half hour show, right? I was like, sure. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and, oh, no, I'm sorry. The day before she said, can you do a half hour? And I was like, yeah, that's that's fine. I got there. She introduced me to the other one of the other planners of the event. And they said, so you're doing a 15 minute set. And I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> like, what? Uh, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just tell me in the moment what you'd like me to do? I'll do some roving kind of strolling because I'll do I'll mm-hmm. do some strolling magic kind of thing in, in these events for two reasons: one, to kind of get people to know who I am beforehand, and secondly, to do a little bit of a, a pre-show if I need to. Um, and sometimes, and I don't mean just pre-show for mentalism. Sometimes pre-show is also just like, okay, I need certain people who I know will react in certain ways to certain pieces of magic, like. Um, <clears throat> if I have the opportunity to talk to an audience to, to people beforehand, I'm going to get a read on the kind of reactions that this person is doing. If I can, if I can talk to them and get reactions from them in person, then I know, oh, this person's going to be great for my egg bag routine, mm-hmm. or this person's going to be great for ropes. This person is not good for anything. Uh, so <laughs> we're not picking them. And, um, I just, I just went on too many tangents there. I yeah. almost, it's, <laughs> as we do. Yeah. But back to stop motion animation. Uh, <laughs> it says yeah. 15 frames a second, 15 seconds at a time. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing that uh, uh, Tori Nokes and I uh, ran into each other while we were at the castle last year. Yeah. And uh, both realized that we were talking about stop mo and said, hey, why don't we start doing a weekly challenge to each other? Then Tori uh, got busy with other things. I kept it going, but basically once a week. Oh, and then Joan Decor uh, yeah. got into it as well. But uh, we, I've been doing a pretty much weekly stop motion animation thing, and um, my reasoning for it is it's a great creative challenge to force me to solve problems every single week. The same way this other thing I do, my optics, which is uh, magic from my own perspective, from yeah. the, like the cameras mounted on my chest, looking down at my hands, it's forcing me to create things or to sh- forcing, not forcing creativity, but forcing yeah. me to solve problems to keep myself fresh. And sometimes they're going to be good. Yeah. Sometimes they're going to be great. Sometimes they're going to be meh, whatever. But it, the point is I'm finishing, I'm doing this thing every single, every single week and keeping my chops up. So I want to, I want to shift the topic uh, in a couple different ways real quick. Uh, the first is I don't think many people are aware of this, but uh, you have uh a pretty close relationship with Teller because he was influential early on in your magic. Am, am I correct? Mm-hmm. How yes. Did, how did you, you met Teller when you were much younger? Uh, when I was, I want to say 20, 21, somewhere in there. I was, I think I was a senior in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the way it had happened, let's see, the condensed version as much as I can of the story is yeah. that I started a magic club with a few friends at Penn State University. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was me, Brian Fauché, Ben Salinas, Scott Sullivan, Dave Leopold, David Smith was David Smith at the time, Dave Darwin now. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, Randy Shine, obviously my closest friend in magic, uh, still to this day. Mm-hmm. And, um, we, uh, started this club and part of the club was one, uh, the university president at the time was an amateur magician mm-hmm. and I kind of helped teach him some tricks and he, they had Penn and Teller come in for the freshman convocation okay. one year, the at the year of my senior year. And uh, I got this email from the university president saying, do you want to work? You know, I obviously come to it, but do you guys want to meet them after? And we said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we got the club together and we all went and hung out with them 
oh, we met went, met them backstage, and mm-hmm. Penn said, well, is there anything to do in this t- tiny town for a couple of teetotalers? And mm-hmm. I said, well, um, we happen to have a coffee shop that they let us, we do a, we were doing a, like a weekly or bi-weekly show, mm-hmm. and uh, we said, Let, let's go over to the coffee shop. So we brought our group of the club, and then like a few, you know, stragglers, people were with us, friends of friends. Mm-hmm. They closed the coffee shop down. As soon as we walked in, they were like, what? Penn and Teller are here? <laughs> so we, they closed the shop early, and we basically just took it and turned it into a party. And um, mm-hmm. I, while most of the people were gathered around Penn, as he was telling stories, a few of us were talking more to Teller. Mm-hmm. And Teller and I hit it off on philosophy and theater and art yeah. and just, just, you know, precocious, as he said, precocious hipster magician kids. Yeah. Um, and we, uh, at the end of it, I said, I told him about a couple of ideas what I was working on theatrically, including, including a piece where I die with a knife in my back at the end of the show, um, <laughs> which I still do once in a while, but, you know, it's a yeah. classic comedy stuff, you know. But uh, it's great for five-year-old birthday parties. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, was, I told him about this, and he said, you know, if you're in Philadelphia, because I was moving to Philly, mm-hmm. uh, and you're doing a show, let me know. And uh, so he, he gave me his email address and I said, mm. okay. <laughs> uh, and I started, I basically started emailing him once, once every couple of weeks, once a month would find yeah. an interesting article. I was basically trying to say here, I'm, I, I'm still exist. <laughs> and that turned into eventually them coming to Philly while we were doing a show, mm-hmm. um, some friends and I, and uh, they said, Hey, is, are there tickets for your show? I was like, yeah there's, there's a week we'll fit you in <laughs> so, uh we got them to, they came we they saw the show we hung out and uh after that we, it turned into a it turned into a friendship because his parents were still alive living in philadelphia at the time oh, and okay somehow i don't remember the exact details but another fr- a mutual friend of his and i started taking care of his parents when while they while they were you know go and check on them once mm-hmm. a week or more um tell her eventually brought me in for one of their for an anniversary of theirs oh uh he said can you can i hire you to do a magic show for them and two other people and i was like mm. yeah like yeah i can do that <laughs> uh so did a fun little magic a fun little show for their anniversary at their table at their in their kitchen anyway eventually helped move them out to vegas uh all this to say we became friends through personal connection through mm-hmm. his family through, through his parents and then every time he would be visiting we would also then talk art, theater, theater, mm-hmm. theory, philosophy, and I would just—it was just, uh, yeah, a, a, a wonderful experience to learn and listen, sit and listen, um, and yeah, that's Do you, that's the, the gist of how it happened. Uh, so you're you're sort of a senior in college when you first meet him. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like you had? you had a pretty firm grasp on who you were as a magician when that, when that happened, or were you still sort of young and magic? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I was, I was, uh, anything, any presentation that I did was pretentiously over artsy and yeah. just awful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I do now came from that, mm-hmm. but I had no idea how to entertain an audience or how to engage an audience it was very self-serving, very masturbatory magic, which is, uh, frankly, so much of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and not through the fault of the magicians. Again, there's that word again, fault. But it's yeah. more we get we do tend to forget 
that there are other people outside of our little. When did you uh, find yourself brain. making a shift towards recognizing that about yourself? Because, I mean, I know it took me a while to recognize that a lot of my early work was the same way, very pretentious, very self-serving and not, you know, like I was technically good, but the, the, the actual, the routines were just not there at all. And so, uh, but, yeah. but recognizing that yourself takes quite a bit of, you know, you know, self-reflection. So when, when, when do you feel like this happened? Um, I can't pinpoint exactly the when it happened, but I know why and how. Mm-hmm. Um, part of why and how came from uh, reading theory books. Uh, specific, it was the one that I really that really changed my life a lot was Strong Magic. And mm-hmm. I know you were going to ask me about books at some point also, but yeah. uh, Strong Magic by Darwin Ortiz, who we just lost this year. Um, I loved the book, and at the time I took it as a Bible, and as I got older I challenged lots of it, and I now there's a, now there's so much of it that I disagree with, but at the same time, reading things you disagree with is also as important as the reading things, in fact more important than mm-hmm. the things you agree with. Um, so I, it helped influence my understanding and structure of character, of my character, um, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a misnomer for a lot of people. Uh, characters not something you just do and it's not something you just write or create it takes a long time the other thing that helped me a lot was uh funny enough doing kids birthday parties when i first graduated from penn state i said i'm you know shortly after i did a couple of temp jobs and small things Mm -hmm. i said i'm going to try full try doing this full time and the way only way i could really do it was to work uh through another friend of mine who started an enter a a birthday party entertainment kids business in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I did this, uh, it was a uh, Brian Fauché, um, who I still, uh, tell you, he's still a friend. Um, he's down in Florida now, but doing different, moved on to different things. Right. Yeah. But at the time I was doing, I would do four or five days a week and on the weekends do four or five or six shows for very little money, yeah. but that very little money added up and the way more than enough to pay the bills. And it was the, the analogy, and I think you'll understand this from a stand-up comic st- position, the analogy is um, years ago, first time meeting Harrison Greenbaum and really getting to know him, mm-hmm. uh, watching Harrison go work six clubs in a night. Yeah. And like I'd be doing Monday Night Magic and he'd be, he was not there yet because he was on stage in three different clubs and they'd come and do the Monday Night Magic set and then he'd leave the set and go do more clubs. And I think uh, Nick DeFott does the same, has done the same kind of thing. Like you basically yeah. just the only way to really get good is just to work. Yeah. Like just to work and work and work your ass off to the point where yeah. and flop and fail and the next time fail less. As, there's only way, the only way you can fail is if you don't learn from the thing you failed at. Yeah. Um, Hiawatha used to say, say, uh, sorry, I was just going to say the the, the quote that I don't want to forget, but Hiawatha talks about it, says, there are no mistakes, only lessons. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's sort of interesting because I think that um, when I talk to magicians who ask me how to get good and, you know, at like particular sleight of hand, right? So like they go, oh, I I don't, I'm uncomfortable palming in front of an audience. How do you, how do you palm so many things all the time? And I'm just like, I got caught a lot. And like, I think it's just accepting that failure is not a bad thing. It's a learning Mm -hmm. experience. And if you fail at a trick or get caught in a slight, you're not going to destroy magic. Like magic's been around for 3000 years. Like your one flub is not going to kill it. 
Yeah, and especially as you, if you don't make a big deal of the mistake that you made,、mm-hmm. um, that is the most. So there's never, there isn't an excuse. I don't want people to to think.、Uh, That it's okay to not work your butt off on making sure the slights are as good as you are able to do. Yeah. That's still, I think that's a lot of times people will say, oh, well, you know, I get away with it. Well, first off, do you really? Yeah.、Um, people, we have, no, we have interesting blinders. Yeah. <laughs>、uh, that said, understanding, like, I know my downfall, I know the things I'm not as good at,、mm-hmm. and I have compensated for them in a different way. So I'm, For years, I didn't have the greatest top change.、Mm-hmm. I had an okay one. And I think I still have an okay. I still don't think it's great.、Mm-hmm. I think it's good.、Um, it's not David Williamson. It's not a lot of it's not people who are, are masters of this slight.、Mm-hmm. So, what I did is I continued and continue to try and make it better every time I perform. But I also figure out other things that work. To help hide it. And、mm-hmm. then in this case, it's understanding my own body movements, my own psychological ploys that I use to make a person look away. So I'm, very, I'm a very heavy misdirection based person. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the show was brought to you by Boombox from Andrew Niner. Craig Petty joined me via Zoom to discuss this incredible utility device built into a card box. Craig, I am so excited to talk to you about this because this week our, the feature product is Boombox by Andrew Niner, and I know you had a lot to do with the routines on it. I love this, Eric. I mean, I absolutely I don't think outside of maybe Andrew that there's anybody who uses the Boombox as much as me. And. <laughs> Like, I did a、uh, I did a video on like the best utility items of all time, and I put, put Boombox at number one because my attitude is really simple. Why would you not have a Boombox with you instead of a card box? Why would you put your deck of cards in a regular box when you can put it in a Boombox instead? Because it opens up so many possibilities and it just looks Like a box. It really does. For those of you who like don't know what Boombox is and you're listening to this, it's basically a switching device built into a card box. All you have to do is put something in it, like a bill or a playing card or a, like a post it note, set the box down, and it automatically switches it out for something else. You can do vanishes, you can do appearances, you can do switches, transformations. And you teach a bunch of like Really cool tricks on there because we sent you Boombox like months before it dropped. Yeah. Well, I was I was super proud when you guys said to me, Would you like to be involved in this project? I was 100% in. Like, I was shown this thing over the internet and I was like, This is just brilliant. I remember describing it to Sean as this is like a Himba wallet. Yeah. But in, but in, a, but in a card box. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's so much you can do with that. The, The routines that I put on the Boombox project were literally just scratching the surface. There is so much more that I've done with this thing since Boombox came out. And I think anybody that's got a little bit of creativity, they have the ability to go in so many different directions with this. Because in essence, what you have here is you have a box that you can put your cards into, but at any point you want to, And at any point in your routine, when you've taken the cards out, you can switch one card for another card. You can switch. Four cards for four cards. You can do four for one transpositions, and it's completely hands off. It happens inside the card box. And unlike a lot of other、uh, gimmicks that would do maybe a similar sort of thing, this for me has two big advantages. The first is that it's locking. Yes. So. Not, which is a huge thing. And until you start working with this, you don't realize, but it's locking the system that Andrew designed 
to be able to cause this to lock is brilliant, but you can switch back and forth easily. So once you've done that one switch, you can then switch back at any point that you want to. So you can construct routines where there's more than one switch. It's not like you have to go and reset it in order to do a switch again. So, you know, it, it, just think of the possibilities when it comes to packet tricks, for example. Imagine oh, yeah. having, yeah, imagine having like uh, your favorite packet trick in one side of the boom box, taking out a deck of cards. And let's say that packet trick uses four aces. You say, uh, hey, I'm going to take the four aces out or you produce the four aces. You put them away in the box for a minute as you show that there's no other aces there. You give the deck to someone to hold on to. Now you've switched in those that packet trick. You do whatever you want to do. And then you switch them back for the aces and you're left with a regular deck of cards. It's, I mean, that's incredible. It's awesome. It's just, and I love what you said about being a utility device because you can keep a deck of cards in there and something in the sort of secret secondary chamber. And it's just one of those things that like, yeah, it just makes a ton of sense to hang out with it. And since people are listening to it on the podcast, you know, they're going to get it for a discount. So it's pretty great. Boombox. Oh, yeah. Everyone like should my, check it out. My favorite routine to do close up, I'll tell you right now before we go, yeah. is this trick called uh, um, doodle duplication which I put on the yes. Boombox project. That is so cool. It's the best way to give out a business card. And it's one of the routines that's on there. And honestly, I think it's probably one of the strongest routines I do. And it's right down the Boombox project. Doesn't even use a deck of cards, but it uses the Boombox um, and a business card. And you do this killer drawing duplication where they're actually duplicating somebody else's drawing. You're not even doing anything. And all you need is a boombox and a business card and you're ready to go. It's really clever. Everyone should check it out. Boombox by Andrew Niner. That was Boombox by Andrew Niner, available at penguinmagic.com. As always, the incredible listeners to this podcast receive 25% off the featured product of the week when they enter a special discount code at checkout. This week, that code is SWITCH. That's SWITCH. S-W-I-T-C-H for 25% off Boombox by Andrew Niner. That code is only good for Boombox and only good until the next episode of this show airs. Now, back to my conversation with Francis Minotti. It's not David Williamson. It's not a lot of, it's not people who are, are masters of this slight. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I continued and continue to try and make it better every time I perform, but I also figure out other things that work to help hide it. And then in this case, it's understanding my own body movements, my own psychological ploys that I use to make a person look away. So I'm very, I'm a very heavy misdirection based person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I use looking and talking and angling my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use concepts to distract the person way more than I use the slights. Yeah. Um, and I still, I'll still use all the slights that I can, or whatever's necessary, right? No more difficult nor 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 easy than necessary to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot where we were going. No, no, <laughs> uh, it's uh, sorry. The the conversation is wide ranging, and I, I can, yeah. I, mean, I can talk to you about uh, a lot of things. But I want to, I want to shift the topic again because you're one of the few people I know who's done this, um, which is you worked as a solo performer for years. Yes. Um, and then, uh, and your wife. Uh, Lindsay Noel, who's been on the show, friend of the show, uh, you have a, a double act with her now. You you actually just worked the castle not recent, not too long ago the, for Halloween. Yeah, um, yeah. And you both work as individual performers. What was the process for you to go from being a solo performer to involving somebody new in the act? 
and and as is and I should say you are equals in the act. Not you didn't bring her into your act. You two developed an act together. Correct. And, and, and how, continue to do so. Yeah. Continue to do so. And you but you work individually and separately. What was that experience like for you? Because I don't know many people who have ever gone on to do a double act with somebody else. Hmm. Successfully, uh, successfully, I should say. I yeah, I think part of it is just uh, well, it's just stubborn determination. <laughs> um, <laughs> we I've I've been doing it you know literally my whole life, mm-hmm. and Lindsay's been doing magic for what six seven seven years somewhere like that, mm-hmm. uh, and. It's funny because while she, the first thing I should say is why why it's been easy easier than I think it might be in other people's situations is while she's been doing magic for six or seven years, she was on stage doing, in my opinion, much harder kinds of presentations mm-hmm. uh, for cabaret audiences, for emceeing, <clears throat> producing festivals and shows. Like she's her audience time was the equivalent of someone else who like she she was already better on stage than a lot of magicians who I'd seen doing it professionally for years. Mm-hmm. Um so <clears throat> adding in another skill set without saying, you know, oh it's just add just add a few magic tricks. Obviously it's not quite that easy. Yeah. But um I would argue that being engaging with an audience is more difficult than than any slight you will ever mm-hmm. learn. Um because because there's there's a specific reason and there's there's no way of practicing it yeah other than being being in front of an audience right mm-hmm. so you can you can practice you can say can you learn raise rise here go lock yourself in a room yeah uh, I will come out when I've learned it mm-hmm. I don't have no one's gonna get tired of me prying it on them right i'm doing it to myself i'm but but when you're trying to to entertain this i know this is kind of a long way of an introduction though but um there's only one way of getting good in front of an audience and that is to get in front of audiences Mm -hmm. as what was just said before yeah so putting um i influenced her stuff early very early when she was i was saying all right here try this trick try this do these or try these let's stick with mentalism while you're learning the slights Mm -hmm. Um, and then combine both and to go do some strolling. And then finally we, we did as well. I would do my show and she would come in and do a piece. Yeah. Not as an, and the big key for us was not as an assistant, but as yes. another performer. Yeah. Cause I never wanted, I never wanted to work with an assistant. Yeah. I still don't. Um, I, she's my partner literally on and off stage, mm-hmm. uh, best friend and, uh, performance partner and is a, monster of a creator like just a really like presentational creations i are i've always prided myself in being able to write a really interesting or could crazy cool weird presentation she's been she's been doing that for years and before long before we met for different things for different kinds of shows um whether they were cabaret shows burlesque shows theater things mcs whatever so when we started combining combining our efforts and writing together it was really easy Mm -hmm. to create things because we both already came out, we could bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah, getting on stage and trying things was a little more difficult because she would have the uh, imposter syndrome up front of being like, "Oh, well, they're going to catch me," mm-hmm. uh, or "I don't know how to do that." Magician's guilt, you know. Everyone learns magician's guilt real fast as yeah. soon as you step in front of the audience once. You can practice your your you know uh, side steal or classic pass or whatever you want a million times and be like, "Yeah, I got this, I got this," and then you get in front of an audience and you're like. 
uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you do it and you're like, everyone saw me, everyone saw yeah. me, I know it. And so we had, you know, you go through that. Um, but we, I think the hardest part for us was, especially, it's easier performing for normal non-magician people mm-hmm. because no, because we're equals immediately. No one knows who we are. Yeah. When we show up in front of magicians or when people find out that we're doing stuff together, they're like, oh, you're, uh, uh, you're Francis's wife. Yeah, that's got to be, how do you handle that? I mean, because it's, it's, I mean, I know when my partner comes with me to magic things, she becomes invisible to people and she's not a magician. And it's got to be different when you're there with your your creative partner, your actual, you know, your romantic partner and your, uh, and someone who is a good magician in her own right. And people are, you know, referring to her as Francis's partner. Yeah, I, I usually, uh, I'll make a joke and say, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm her husband uh, or um, sometimes if like she's doing a, if, even at a gig, a lot of times mm-hmm. uh, she, that she's doing, I'll show, I'll either drop her off or I'll show up, I'll carry equipment in or something like that. Um, and people will be surprised at first that she's the magician mm-hmm. because, you know, st- social stereotypes and that's, and even though it's getting better, it's still a long way to go, Yeah, but it's getting better, but it's a long way to go. Um, we, uh, I'll, I'll make a joke and say, oh yeah, I'm just the lovely assistant Yeah, and downplay it. And also in, not in a snarky way, but go, yeah, obviously that she, she's a magician, yeah. not in like a, what, what do you mean? But just kind of like, oh yeah, that's, she, she's doing the she's yeah. a magician. Um, it sounds like addressing it by not addressing it is a really, like, yeah, just kind of like, yeah, duh, yeah. whatever. It's not an issue. <laughs> it's, it shouldn't be an issue. So why <laughs> she's not a woman magician she's mm. a magician who cares is the pro- is the creativity and material selection choice different for you two as a double act versus when you're putting your, together your solo material yes uh especially since there are certain pieces that i would do solo or normally have done and she takes them because a she has a good presentation for herself mm-hmm. and b uh it doesn't i have I have the advantage of having done this my entire life. So mm-hmm. just like if you show up at a convention or show up at a, a, a situation and the someone else is doing a piece, I'm like, oh, you're doing the egg bag? Yeah. Uh, fine. I'll cut my egg bag. <laughs> I'm annoyed, but it's okay. I'll cut yeah. it. Um, but I'll just do something else. Whereas I have a, I have a much more, much less limited uh, arsenal. Mm-hmm. That's not for any reason other than just time. Yeah. It's just decades of doing this, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Even though all professionals have their six tricks, right? We yeah. have our, our things that we do all the time. We're nerds. We've got a lot more. <laughs> yeah, but but when you you, you someone yeah. someone drops you in a room mm-hmm. and hands you a deck of cards or three coins or three coins in a shell or whatever, mm-hmm. you're gonna go to the same the same couple of things that you've done. 10,000 times as opposed to the things you've done 500 times. Yeah. Right. Um, that's natural and that's comfort and that's, that's okay. That's good. You want to give them the best your RA material. Right. So in, uh, that said, there are definitely pieces like I have a, I have my own ha- uh, handling or my own magician's stretch, which is the old, you know, you put your hands out in the air, grab your fingers and everyone's there's, there are things that everyone does. Yeah. I never liked those and they're, they're fine. It's not that I didn't like them for them. Yeah. Dude, could do your thing. But after a while, if people have seen enough magic shows, if someone's, if someone sees a magic show and they like it, they're going to go and see another one. Yes. 
So that's the there's a mis there's a a misconception that people say uh, that magicians will say, oh, you know, there's so many people out there and so many people have never seen a magician before. That is kind of true, but it's also false in the sense that they've only if they've never seen one before and you're good, they're going to go and see more. Um, I would so, and if they've seen more, if they've seen one person do powers of darkness or I don't know, mm -hmm. whatever a hot thing is now, whatever something that people are, everyone's doing it with a torn or restored newspaper or, yeah. or a thread or something like that. Right. Um, everyone's doing the same thing. Well, you know, the invisible deck, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to see the first person do it. And they're like, wow, that was amazing. They're going to see the next person do the same trick, probably mm -hmm. the same presentation and go, Oh, yeah, that's yeah. still amazing, but I guess everyone just does this. I, I would also argue that magic has entered a new era. We're sort of in a new golden age. Uh, and I think particularly because of the success of shows like uh, Penn and Teller Fool Us, uh, magicians have been very successful on America's Got Talent. I mean, not only have three magicians won, but like many magicians have come in like second or third. Sure. Um, and uh, shows like you know Masters of Illusion... And whereas it used to be, you'd have to wait for a special like David Copperfield. It's we uh, we in general have figured out how to engage in television and the internet media in a way that can generally present magic better than we have ever been able to in the past. And so the result yeah. is the the better and worse. Be, <laughs> yes, better and worse. But more more people have just had experience with a magician. Um, and right. have probably Dude, had a decent gross. experience. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. Was the incorrect way to put that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the well, the internet is is uh, as we you know using that word again is blamable for so many things. Mm -hmm. um, it, the internet is just a tool. It's both yeah. good and bad for everything. It's great for finding information. It's also great for finding misinformation. Yeah. Um, and it's you can. You can go, we can get off this call and go learn how to uh, f fix a dishwasher. Mm -hmm. Or we can learn what the last season of uh, some other reality TV show's, you know, drama was. You know, yeah. there's, there's the good and the bad of everything. We have endless information at our fingertips. How do we use it? Um, I think magic is both been more successful but also it makes things uh there's a there's a higher scrutiny of mm -hmm. of uh of what's good magic and what's not and what's interesting about this is i hear so many people this is this has not really happened to me mm -hmm. and i have no why it's not happened to me and i and i know why it happens to certain people and it doesn't to others um they're like oh i was doing this trick and then at the end of it someone was researching how did they were looking up on youtube and found the solution mm -hmm. well there's multiple problems with that first you, it means you're probably doing something that is very easy to find yeah um it's not just it's just straight off the shelf or straight up you know straight from murphy's this is exactly how you're going to do it we're going to do it mm -hmm. just the same way everyone else does it um if you obfuscate what the effect is through good presentation suddenly it's harder for them to chat to to go back and check yeah. More importantly, or as importantly at least, if you're making it about the trick versus you, well, they're going to look up how the trick works. If yeah. they're making it about you, 
you're going to, it's going to be more of a conversation. It's going to be, oh, cool. I just did this thing. Oh yeah. What do you like doing? How are you know, how long you've been doing this? You know, mm-hmm. I want them to ask me questions about me and engage with them as a human being rather than as a platform for this piece of cleverness that yeah. they just saw. I know. I, I, I think that that is, I've heard the same argument before about how, oh, well they, they can just look up the trick. I mean, Let's be honest, my, my day job employer and, and other of our, of our competitors out there have basically made it so that the dirty secret in magic is that anything, any trick you see, you can learn the secret for about 50 bucks if you want to. But mm-hmm. the, it comes down to how the, how the trick is presented as to whether or not you are motivated to either discover that it will only cost you 50 bucks to learn the secret or actually spend the money on doing that as opposed to wanting to just see more from me the performer and you don't care how it works yeah uh, yes <laughs> yes correct all right <laughs> you here's a cigar <laughs> well uh francis i'm I, we've been talking forever and i could talk to you forever and i'm gonna have to cut us off right now because i think what i would rather do is just have you back on the show and continue our, our wonderful conversations uh, at another yeah, time. absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. My pleasure. It's been a blast. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks so much to Francis Minotti for being on the show, and thanks to you for listening. I just wanted to quickly thank all of the Penguin fans who dropped by the P3 Theater last weekend for my shows. Three sold-out shows in a row were a lot of fun to do. Coming this week, we'll be featuring Jake Lundgren, and a few weeks after that, we're going to have the one and only... Eric Jones. Just go to p3magictheater.com to find out ticket informations and showtimes. If you want to see your favorite performers in our amazing theater right here in Columbus, Ohio. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform that you've been making New Year's resolutions on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, you'll have to slip it into the YouTube tutorials I'm taking on Fusion 360. Uh, Look, I'm not saying that I successfully built a double-action spring-loaded letter opener that I 3D printed this week, but I am telling you that I'm getting closer to 3D printing robot combat robots. But if 3D printing basically switchblades isn't your cup of tea, you can always hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform. Perform.